Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to the audio edition of the Weekly Roundup, where we look over some of the major headlines pertaining to the asset and wealth management industry across Singapore, Hong Kong and mainland China. This episode, we're looking at what occurred during the week of March 15 to 19. So let's dive in. Starting down in Singapore, delivering the keynote address at the IMAS Bloomberg Investment Conference 2021, MAS's Managing Director Ravi Menon emphasised that the future of capital was green. In his address, Mr Menon identified three forces driving this, namely a growing recognition of climate change as a global priority, advances in approaches to sustainable investing, and changing investor preferences. Mr. Menon noted that in Asia, total ESG assets had doubled from $20 billion US dollars in 2019 to $43 billion in 2020, and that last year, Asia attracted circa $22 billion US dollars in ESG inflows. To best position Singapore in supporting ESG and other green finance initiatives, MAS will work too broaden the range of green financing solutions and markets, improve consistency and transparency of ESG reporting and disclosure, and bring knowledge and capabilities in sustainable finance. Singapore has already undertaken several initiatives in support of this, introducing a grant scheme in 2017 to aid in aligning locally issued green bonds with international standards, launching a similar grant scheme in 2020 for green and sustainability-linked loans, and the announcement of which asset managers will be receiving an aggregate US$2 billion in mandates from MAS, having demonstrated their commitment to green and sustainable finance. The strong focus on green and sustainability in finance will be of interest to the wider asset and wealth management industry, and could assist in setting Singapore apart from its regional and global peers with regards to its role as a green finance centre. Next up, as reported by Nikkei Asia, increasing numbers of high net worth investors are attracted to Singapore as the number of millionaires and billionaires across Asia Pacific increases and instability and uncertainty in Hong Kong pushes high net worth individuals to move their wealth from there. Nikkei reports that deposits at Singapore's financial institutions for residents outside of Singapore grew 20% over 2020 to reach 64.2 billion Singapore dollars in January 2021, and, citing data from Knight Frank, the number of Singapore residents whose total assets exceeded 30 million US dollars reached over 3,700 in 2020, up 10% from the year before. To tap into these wealth inflows, numerous wealth managers are expanding their operations in Singapore. City is establishing their largest wealth management centre here. Nomura is embarking on a hiring spree with the goal of increasing its sales staff in Singapore and Hong Kong by 100 by March 2023, up from 60 presently. And JP Morgan is establishing a wealth management centre to exclusively target mainland Chinese high net worth individuals. As Singapore grows in prominence and popularity as a global wealth management centre, other entities are likely to expand their operations to seize on the opportunities offered. Also in Singapore, Harvest Fund Management, 
one of China's top asset managers by AUM, is preparing to build a, quote, two-way bridge, end quote, by expanding operations in Singapore in order to satiate rising client demand for offshore investments. Harvest's chairman, Zhao Xuejun, stated that the choice of Singapore was an easy one, given its sound regulatory framework and role as a regional wealth management centre, and holds great promise for alternative investments, fintech, private equity, and wealth management. Currently, around 80% of assets under management in Harvest's Singapore subsidiary originates from China, and this is expected to fall to 60% as the local asset base rapidly grows, potentially reaching a billion US dollars in the near future. The subsidiary currently targets institutions and family offices exclusively and has no plans to expand to the retail market. Mr. Zhao notes that whilst investment opportunities in China may be favoured by investors there, expanded operations in Singapore would offer those investors greater diversification. Whilst Harvest currently has a presence in Hong Kong, which manages most of its offshore business, it has chosen Singapore as a centre to further expand its overseas operations and provide greater opportunities for diversification to investors in China. This follows other Chinese asset and wealth managers who are increasingly establishing operations in Singapore, sometimes at the expense of having a presence in Hong Kong. CSOP established its first overseas office in Singapore back in 2019. Haitong International Asset Management followed later that year, and another dozen or so Chinese asset and wealth managers hold fund management licenses in Singapore, according to MAS. As Singapore continues to attract Chinese financial institutions to its shores, and Hong Kong undergoes an evolution in its role as a global financial centre, it will be interesting to track what the market landscape will look like in the future. Finally, in Singapore, DBS, a local bank, raised 690 million US dollars from an ESG product, a seven-fold increase from an earlier tranche launched in 2018. And DBS noted that the number of clients increased threefold and the average amount invested per client more than doubled, as reported by Fund Selector Asia. Additionally, Endowas, a Singapore-based robo-advisor, claims to have launched Asia's first ESG-advised portfolio, allowing investors to invest in multi-asset sustainable portfolios. The portfolio comprises three equity and three fixed-income funds, managed by five asset managers. The success of DBS and Endowas further highlights the growing attractiveness of ESG and SRI products across Asia, and further shows asset and wealth managers the potential success the launch of such products can entail. Heading up to Hong Kong, the head of People's Bank of China in Guangzhou, Bei Hexiang, stated that the Wealth Management Connect program could be launched as soon as people could freely travel between Hong Kong, Macau, and mainland China. The Wealth Management Connect program still lacks clarity around the nature of the scheme, though it is understood that only plain or vanilla products would be available to investors, and investors in the GBA would be limited to circa a million RMB or around 150,000 US dollars in individual investment limits against an aggregate quota of 300 billion RMB, which is around 45 billion US dollars at time of recording. HSBC is already taking steps to seize on the opportunities that the Wealth Management Connect offers 
promising to hire 100 Hong Kong graduates who are interested in working in the GBA zone and building a 16,000 square meter global training center within the GBA, which is expected to be completed in 2024. In addition to the 50 branches and the HSBC Shanghai Securities entity currently operating within the area. The Bank of East Asia and Standard Chartered have also announced plans and leads to drive expansion of wealth management services across the GBA, with the latter also building a dedicated centre in Guangzhou for 1,600 staff that is expected to be finished by 2023. UBS, Switzerland's largest fund house, is also positioning itself for the launch of the programme, having gained regulatory approval to distribute three Hong Kong domiciled funds locally. The funds all include fixed income and multi-asset themes, and are expected to be launched in time for the launch of the Wealth Management Connect. Chinese regulators have also indicated that they could increase the investment scope individuals are able to invest in offshore, which could also help drive interest in the Wealth Management Connect. Moving on, Synpulse, a technology consulting firm, has stated that a digital approach would be necessary for carving out a niche in the yet-to-be-launched Wealth Management Connect program, and that firms will need to navigate the challenges arising from the cross-border nature of the scheme. Gregory Akek, an associate partner at Simpulse, specifically highlighted the onboarding of clients in the three jurisdictions that Wealth Management Connect would operate in across the GBA, being Macau, Hong Kong, and mainland China. Managing data and privacy regulations across three jurisdictions may prove challenging, and the asset and wealth managers will need to ensure that sufficient integrations across systems internally and within third-party platforms are met. Synpulse's statements come at a time when financial institutions in Hong Kong are reporting a local talent shortage in qualified information technology professionals. With the current uncertainty around Hong Kong's future as a financial centre, and lack of local talent cited as key drivers of the current shortfall, as reported by CityWire Asia. Next up, a survey from the Family Office Association of Hong Kong shows that, perhaps unsurprisingly, Hong Kong is seen as the regional APAC hub for family offices. The survey interviewed 421 individuals across asset and wealth management, family offices, banking, professional services, and private equity. Of the respondents, nearly 75% had a presence in Hong Kong. 64% of those from the asset and wealth management sector thought Hong Kong was APAC's regional family office hub, and the top three factors which would accelerate Hong Kong's development as a family office centre were a well-defined regulatory regime, 74%, a favourable tax regime, 67%, and professionals with the right skills and capabilities, 66%. Additionally, 96% of respondents agreed that the Wealth Management Connect would provide Hong Kong with a competitive advantage in growing its family office and private wealth management sectors, and 63% of respondents stated that the launch of the Wealth Management Connect would positively impact their business. Of the 63%, 34% expected their business to grow by less than 10%, 20% expected their business to grow between 10 to 20%, and the remaining 9% expected their business to grow by more than 25% as a result of the Wealth Management Connect. Given that 308 of the respondents have an existing presence in Hong Kong, there is likely an amount of home or confirmation bias that is reflected in the survey results. 
However, it does provide some interesting insights across the wider financial services sector in Hong Kong and the specific impact that the Wealth Management Connect will have on various business segments. The positive responses from the survey are tempered by recent developments in Hong Kong with regards to how the territory is seen as being separate from the influence of Beijing. Reuters stated in an article dated 29 May 2020 that over half of Hong Kong's estimated 1 trillion US dollars in private wealth is held by mainland individuals who are increasingly looking to shift their assets to other wealth hubs. Next up, Quinlan and Associates, a consulting company based in Hong Kong, believes that Hong Kong's eight licensed digital banks could claim 9.7 billion US dollars in annual revenues and 19.3% of overall market share by 2025. In late 2020, it was announced that Hong Kong's digital banks had over 300,000 customers and 1 billion US dollars in deposits. ZA Bank was thought to be the industry leader with 180,000 customers and 310 million US dollars in assets at the time. By March 2021, ZA Bank had reported 300,000 plus users, 80,000 of which were gained over the first quarter of 2021. Having reached this level of customer base and core banking services, some digital banks are now branching into wealth management and other services. Traditional banks have signaled their intentions to fight in the digital realm, with HSBC declaring it will invest 5.8 billion US dollars globally on technology across 2021, and Standard Chartered has launched a digital-only banking service in Hong Kong. Moxbank, one of the eight virtual banking license holders, reportedly had an average customer balance of circa 10,000 US dollars and a total deposit base of 5.1 billion Hong Kong dollars as of 31 December 2020. Quinlan and Associates forecast that by 2025, Hong Kong's digital banks will have 1.9 million customers. Capro Asia notes that WeLab, the only native digital bank in Hong Kong, is partnering with German insurer Allianz as both entities see opportunities in the GBA and entering into a partnership as the best way to seize the opportunities presented, specifically with regards to developing and distributing wealth management products. The tie-up could prove to be opportune for both entities, and it enables WeLab to clearly differentiate itself from the seven other competitors in Hong Kong with regards to its long-term strategy as a virtual bank. Next up, following a drinks break of around one year, three northbound funds, that is, domiciled in Hong Kong and sold in China, have been approved by CSRC for the Mutual Recognition of Funds program. This brings the number of northbound MRF funds to 32, against a total of 50 southbound funds. Those approved by Hong Kong Securities and Futures Commission for sale in Hong Kong. The funds were launched by Income Partners, eFund, and China AMC, and represent the first time all three asset managers have offered funds on the MRF via the northbound channel. Both eFund and China AMC have funds approved via the southbound channel, which are available for sale in Hong Kong. The latest data with SAFE shows aggregate northbound flows of 17.4 billion renminbi compared to southbound flows of 640 million renminbi. This imbalance, both in terms of approved funds and fund flows, has plagued the MRF since its inception and casts a pall over cross-border schemes which have launched since it, including the Wealth Management Connect. Lastly for Hong Kong, 
Funds, which Hong Kong's SFC have approved as ESG, have outperformed their non-ESG peers, as reported by Fund Selector Asia, citing data from Morningstar Direct. Hong Kong currently boasts 43 SFC-approved green and ESG funds, and they had an average return of 28.7% over 2020, compared to 19.2% for Hong Kong's approximately 900 equity funds. The performance of green and ESG funds also continued over the three- and five-year periods preceding this. Hong Kong has launched numerous initiatives to promote itself as a green and sustainable fund centre, and the 43 SFC-authorised green and ESG funds have been launched by 17 asset managers. If the performance of the funds promotes increased flows and overall greater AUM for the asset managers which launch them, the sector could see substantial growth in the coming years. Moving up to China, data from AMAC shows that the AUM of mutual funds in China reached a new high of over 3 trillion US dollars in January 2020, a 3.52% increase in the month across over 8,000 funds. Additionally, Ignites Asia reports that over 2020, China leapfrogged Italy, Germany and Canada to become the world's fourth largest mutual fund market, excluding money market fund AUM. This surge in AUM is partially attributed to the 181 million investors participating in the share market at the end of February 2021. Data from China Securities Depository and Clearing shows that individual investors accounted for 99.77% of this and that nearly 22 million new investors were attracted to the market over January and February 2021. Within these individual accounts, more than 40% are from Generation Z investors, up from just under 20% last year. In terms of industry ranking, eFund ranked first in terms of non-money market fund AUM, with nearly 600 billion RMB in AUM as at 2020 year-end. The top 10 asset managers by non-money market fund AUM amounted to over 31% of industry AUM at the time, up from 30.5% at the end of 2019, and had increased their collective non-money market fund AUM by 59% over 2020, according to the data from AMAC. eFund's non-money market fund AUM is over 160 billion RMB more than the second-ranked asset manager, China AMC, who replaced Borsera as the second-ranked FMC from 2019. Borsera fell to fifth in non-money market fund AUM, so whilst China's top 10 fund houses have increased their dominance across the industry, the order and composition of the top 10 remains relatively fluid. Additionally, several of the top 10 were Sino-Foreign Joint Ventures, which demonstrates it's not just locally owned fund management companies succeeding in China. However, despite the surge in mutual fund AUM, ETFs remain unable to attract significant investment. Data from Morningstar, cited by CityWire Asia, shows that 91 ETFs were launched in China in 2020, one more than in 2019, and that total assets in ETFs amounted to 162 billion US dollars. This stands in contrast to the over 1,200 non-ETF funds launched with collective fundraising of 465 billion US dollars. A survey from JP Morgan indicated that more than 55% of investors in China 
lacked sufficient knowledge of ETFs to invest in them, and that the low cost of ETFs was not something that Chinese investors were attracted to. Despite this outlook, Chinese regulators have asked US asset manager Van Eck to provide additional information on its global ETF business and how it intends to grow onshore business in China as part of its application for a retail fund management license, as reported by Ignites Asia. The request from CSRC is reportedly the first time that the regulator has considered factors other than AUM and ranking with regards to an application from a foreign asset manager with regards to their applications for public fund management licenses. On the note of ETFs lacking impetus in China, Vanguard has, quote, paused, end quote, plans to gain a mutual fund license in the Middle Kingdom, citing a crowded market, as reported by Financial Times, and it currently has no fixed timeline for applying for a public fund management license. This follows on Vanguard's decision to exit Singapore, Hong Kong, and Japan with the intention of focusing on opportunities in China. A spokeswoman for Vanguard stated that the move was strategic and stressed that there were no residual issues with regulators following the decision to exit its institutional and state-related mandates last year. In lieu of having its own mutual fund license, Vanguard stated it will focus on providing services to other mutual fund providers via its advisory joint venture, which it operates in partnership with Ant Group, and reiterated its long-term commitment to China. It was recently reported that the joint venture, Bang Nito, had over 1 million clients signed up to it and had 6.7 billion RMB in AUM, nearly one year after it launched. Bloomberg reported that AUM had grown by 60% over 2020 year-end numbers, and the number of clients had increased from 85,000, reported two months after the platform launched. With China's robo-advisory market forecast to reach 1.1 trillion US dollars by 2027, Time will tell if focusing on this segment of the market over competing directly in China's mutual fund space, which now exceeds 3 trillion US dollars in AUM and has doubled in the last four years, was the right decision for Vanguard. And other foreign asset managers looking to enter the market will likely be watching developments avidly. Next up, BMP Paribas AM, the asset management arm of the French bank, has stated that establishing wholly-owned operations and wealth management partnerships in China are crucial in maintaining the growth of its APAC business. BNPPAM currently has a 49% stake in a public fund manager with Haitong Securities, HFT Fund Management, and a QDLP business, though one which reportedly has, quote, really small, end quote, AUM, and has remained tight-lipped on whether it would seek to buy a majority stake in its current joint venture, look to establish another entity to apply for a retail fund management license, seek a partnership with the wealth management arm of a Chinese bank, or pursue another form of onshore presence. So this is another foreign asset manager who will be watching quite closely to see which path they take as they look to expand in China. Value Partners, on the other hand, the Hong Kong-based asset manager, has signaled its intention to apply for a mutual fund license in China, as reported by Fund Selector Asia. This represents the first time since barriers to foreign ownership were relaxed in 2020 that an Asia-based asset manager has expressed interest in establishing an onshore retail presence, though some have an existing presence via FMC joint ventures. Value Partners currently has exposure to China via MRF funds, a PFM Woofie, a QDLP Woofie, 
worth 100 million US dollars of allocated quota and institutional business, and its China-sourced assets reportedly account for 10% of its 14.17 billion US dollar AUM. Value Partners used to be a minority shareholder in an FMC joint venture, Gold State Capital FMC, but sold its stake in late 2015 for 45 million RMB, and it has been investing in China for nearly 30 years. So, if successful in its application, it would be a welcome home of sorts. Next up, China's digital renminbi reached a milestone with the first B2B transaction being recorded in Dalian between two fuel trading companies and with Postal Savings Bank of China helping facilitate the transaction. This follows in the footsteps of various trials being conducted by PBOC across China to fundamentally alter the way physical and digital currencies are used, with the wider goals of replacing the cash supply and diversifying the mobile payments market in China, currently dominated by Alipay and WeChat Pay. China has also partnered with institutions in Thailand, Hong Kong and the UAE to examine the use of central bank digital currencies for cross-border payments. Such initiatives, if successful, could aid in the internationalization of the renminbi, a long-standing objective of China's policymakers. Whilst the digital renminbi rollout continues apace, China's fintechs are facing increased scrutiny and control from Beijing, with Capro Asia noting that having cracked down on the cryptocurrencies, CBDCs notwithstanding, and P2P lenders, fintechs operating in the digital payments and lending space, like Ant Group and Tencent, will have increasingly burdensome capitalization and regulatory requirements to adhere to. Leading the regulatory assault on them is Guo Xuqing, head of CBIRC, reported longtime fintech skeptic, chief representative of the Communist Party of China at PBOC, and architect of the crackdown on P2P lending. How much of the crackdown is caused by genuine regulatory concern and how much is derived from politically connected and state-owned banks in China pressuring regulators remains to be seen. OMFIF reiterates these concerns for Chinese fintechs, noting that China's P2P lenders went from circa 10,000 firms in 2015 to around 600 four years later, and now stand on the verge of disappearing entirely. Whilst ample examples of fraud abounded in the sector, P2Ps helped fill a crucial role for SMEs, enabling them to borrow funds when they were ignored by traditional lenders. Additionally, OMFIF note that the access to deposits was at the heart of the investigation into Ant Financial, an area which China's traditional banks regarded as their exclusive purview, and in which they may have struggled to compete with fintechs in. Given the stated views of Beijing to make the financial sector work towards directing capital and investment into economic areas they desire, and the role of fintechs within China's financial sector, the increasing scrutiny being applied to fintechs could be seen as a continuation of these policies designed to increase the role of the state in controlling China's financial sector. So, those are the main headlines for the week of March 15 to 19. From our perspective, certainly Vanguard's decision to withdraw its application for a retail fund license was perhaps the most interesting, particularly given that regulators had made comments that they were only a couple of months away from receiving the license. Also, the fact that they've pulled out of several other markets in Asia just to focus on the opportunities in China certainly makes the decision very interesting. But I guess we will see in the long term whether focusing on the fund advisory platform that they have with Ant Financial was the right decision to make. 
Also good to see that there has been some movement forward in terms of the Wealth Management Connect, though certainly I would expect that many of the foreign institutions and even some of the financial institutions in the Greater Bay Area are looking for a bit more clarity with regard to that program before they really solidify their plans for it and go in to target investors across that region. And also good to see that Singapore is increasing its focus on ESG and SRI investments. We will have a podcast episode focusing on green and sustainable finance across APEC coming up, so do keep an eye out for that. Let us know your thoughts in the comments about these developments, and if there were any that you think we should have included that were left out. Do remember to like, share, and subscribe if you have not already. Check out our Patreon if you would like to support us. Otherwise, from all of us at 3 Lions AWM, have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you next time.